This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Good morning, everyone. Um, It's an honor to be back up with you uh, here today. So, uh, we're going to be continuing in our uh, series through First Peter. <clears throat> uh, today we'll be looking at First Peter chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen, and um, this is kind of Peter's summary of a lot of what he's been talking about uh, for the first uh, three chapters. And so you'll hear me reiterate some of the things we've been talking about uh, over the past few weeks. And um, I think I at least quote one verse from each chapter in the, in the letter. So, um, but what I really want to uh, focus on today as we walk through this passage is that God is trustworthy and that we should entrust our lives and our actions to him, even if it causes suffering. So God is trustworthy and we should entrust our lives and our actions to him, even if it causes suffering. Um, Two terms that I'd like to define out are these terms trust and entrust first because I'm going to be coming back to them a lot today. Um, <clears throat> the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says trust, uh, the definition is assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. So assured reliance, meaning you have confidence, you can rely on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. And if God doesn't perfectly embody all of those characteristics, then I don't know who does, right? God is has perfect moral character. Uh, he's perfectly strong, and he is the very grounding and foundation of truth, the point of reference for truth. Uh, if God didn't exist, we wouldn't even be able to know what truth was because there'd be no point of reference. So God is trustworthy. We can trust him. Uh, the term entrust uh, is defined as to commit to another with confidence. So this idea of giving over because that uh, the other is trustworthy, we can give over with confidence. And an analogy to help us picture this in our brains is um, if you think about parachutes. So I trust parachutes. I think that they were designed and engineered to uh, save someone's life as they've fallen out of an airplane or save someone's life uh, who's crazy and jumps out of a perfectly good one. I've seen them work, um, seen videos and seen it in person, so I trust that they work. It's one thing for me to say I trust parachutes, it's another thing for me to jump out of the airplane myself, right? It's another thing to entrust my life to that parachute. And so that's the difference between trust and entrust. And like I said, I'll be coming back to this, so just keep that in your mind as we move forward. Okay, uh, so we'll start in uh, verse 12, and we'll go through 16. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. 
Now, the first thing that Peter says here is when you experience suffering, when you experience a fiery ordeal, don't be surprised. Right? It's not unusual. Um, we live in a fallen world. We feel the effects of sin. Um, every one of us at some point in our life goes through some sort of suffering. So suffering is common to all of us in this broken world. But the suf- type of suffering that Peter's focusing in on is this fiery ordeal that comes among you to test you. <clears throat> and this is, uh, I believe, uh, hearkening back to what Peter said in chapter 1 in verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's getting at, it's testing you, it's refining you. Uh, The same way that gold goes through fire to burn out all the impurities, you're left with a more pure piece of gold at the end. So it is with us as believers. When we go through these trials, these fiery ordeals that Peter talks about, it is strengthening us, it's purifying us, it's uh, refining us as uh, we grow closer to Christ and uh, closer in sanctification. And now because God is good and God is trustworthy and faithful, we can trust that he can use these trials and these, um, this testing, these fiery ordeals for our good to make us better, right? So we can trust him in that. Now in verse 13, Peter doesn't just stop at don't be surprised. He says, rejoice as you're suffering. I don't know about you guys, but it's difficult for me to do that. Um, But that's what he's telling us to do. And the reasoning is because we will rejoice later in heaven. We will rejoice when God's glory is revealed, right? So because we will rejoice in uh, the future, that should empower us to rejoice currently as we go through these temporary afflictions, right? And um, in... We know that uh, God is, like I said, God is trustworthy. We can trust Him. We know that the promise of eternal life with Him is true. It's something we can rest on, right? And we know that we will be saved from the very presence of suffering and sin, right? There will be, we will be um, in complete communion with God in, as Jesus called it, paradise, right? We know that that's trustworthy because God has promised it to all who believe in Jesus. And so that, like I said, should empower us to endure through these trials and rejoice while we do it. Now, uh, in verse 14, he moves on to say that if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, So uh, he's writing to Christians um, who at the time were uh, enduring a lot of persecution of various types, right? Social ostracism, um, they were being ridiculed, uh, um, ostracized from families and friend groups, they were losing businesses, sometimes they were imprisoned or worse, right? These were real uh, trials and they were enduring um, this ridicule. And we kind of, uh, sometimes we endure it ourselves. Uh, now, right? If someone uh, ridicules you for your faith in Christ, right? Um, someone says, how can you believe that? I don't believe in fairy tales. How can you? Uh, how can you believe that Jesus is the only way? Isn't that a little bigoted of you, right? How can that be that exclusive? When we're taunted and ridiculed for that, what Peter is saying is that in the midst of that, when we're being ridiculed, we're actually blessed, Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So in the midst of being ridiculed, in the midst of people uh, slandering you and all this stuff, God is with you. 
And in those times, we feel alone, right? We feel like everyone else is just ridiculing me. I'm the only, it feels like I'm the only one here. Everyone else is against me. But we're not alone. Even though we feel like it, we're not, right? Because God is with us in the midst of that suffering and that ridicule. Um, It reminds me of what Jesus said in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Uh, He said, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. Jesus taught the same thing, that we are to rejoice. We We are blessed as people are ridiculing us for our faith in Christ. And we need to trust that what God promises us is better. The blessings that God is giving us are better than receiving blessings from those ridiculing us. The presence of God is better than having more um, presence with those who are ridiculing us, more social status or whatever it is for fitting in. What God offers us is better. And so we trust that. But catch that he says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed. But then in verse 15, he says, don't suffer for doing evil. Right? Don't suffer as a meddler, a thief, a murderer, an evildoer. So this isn't just a license to do whatever you want, cause your own suffering, and say, hey, God's with me in it, right? Don't suffer for doing evil things, but, verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name, right? Suffer for doing good. And this is very different um, to our modern Western culture, the one that uh, we're kind of taught that suffering is inherently bad all the time. We should do everything to avoid it. We should seek a life of pleasure and plenty and all of that stuff. But what Peter is telling us is that, no, these trials are good. We should rejoice in them. God's going to use them to make us better. Don't avoid it, right? And it's just different. And it fits in with um, the title of the sermon series that we're uh, chosen exiles living. We're, we're citizens of heaven living in this world right now. And it reminded me of an analogy that A.W. Tozer gave um, in his book, The Crucified Life. He said that as a Christian, when you're living in this, in this world, you should look like an awkward goose as it's waddling across the land. When you watch a goose waddle, you're like, you weren't built for speed on land, were you? It just looks awkward. It doesn't quite... It's not quite comfortable, but when you see that goose flying through the air, it's graceful. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. You listen to the, to the wind through its wings. It's incredible, and that's because they're comfortable. So he likens that to how Christians should walk and, and live in this world. We shouldn't quite fit in. We should look a little awkward. There's something different about us, right? And that's because we're citizens of heaven. We're meant to be flying, right? Now, through all this, like I said, trust and entrust, the way we can entrust ourselves to God in the midst of suffering, fiery ordeals, we can rely on God's strength to get us through. We can take comfort in God's presence because He is with us. And a practical way is that if you are suffering as a Christian, if you're suffering for doing what is good, don't hide Don't recant. Don't change your actions. Don't start doing what is evil just to avoid suffering and ridicule. Continue to do good. Press on. 
That's what we're called to do. Um, the Puritan Thomas Watson um, had a quote on this. He said, Did Christ bear the wrath of God for us, and shall we not bear the wrath of men for him? You think about what Christ did for you. He took the penalty of your sin on himself. He didn't deserve it, but he did it for you in your place so that you wouldn't have to. If Jesus took that, then putting it in perspective, the ridicule and the sufferings of men is not that bad, right? And we should, we're called to this, we're, and we should be rejoicing and glorifying God in this. And uh, I'm preaching to myself here because I'm definitely, I have been guilty of, um, you know, maybe in like a work setting, hiding my faith a little bit. Maybe I steer a conversation away from church and stuff just because I don't want it to be awkward. I don't want it to, I don't want to get made fun of, right? But this is exactly what Peter's telling me not to do, right? I should be, I should not be um, hiding my faith. I should be glorifying God. I should be suffering as a Christian, right? And that's a good thing to do. And really, um, what we're called to do as Christians is to point everyone to God, to point everyone to the gospel, right? And to point them to Jesus. But if you don't talk about it, then it's kind of difficult to point them to it, right? And so this, is, this passage really challenged me personally um, in learning to entrust, uh, entrust myself to God in those ways. And so speaking of the gospel, um, we're going to continue in verse 17 and talk about that a little bit more. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, then what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. And what we have here is Peter's giving us a warning, right? And a warning is meant to invoke fear, uh, but it's for the good of the person receiving the warning. When I tell my two-year-old daughter, don't touch the hot stove because it's going to burn you and it's going to hurt, I'm trying to invoke fear of the stove to protect her from that, right? And that's what Peter is doing here. He's giving us this warning. He's saying, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. That's Christians. Those are uh, born-again believers. And he's, <clears throat> uh, the judgment he's talking about here is uh, not in reference to condemnation, but to judging in the sense of uh, judging our faith or the quality of our faith. It kind of ties back to verse 12 with the testing and the refinement. But it still hurts, right? We're still suffering in the midst of that. And Peter's comparing that with what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God. And the implication is that that's worse. The outcome is worse. And in the context of the letter, he's talking about the final judgment, eternal separation from God. He's talking about hell. And it's meant to invoke fear, and it's good that it invokes fear in us, right? It's good to recognize that we need a Savior, just like it's good to recognize that if you find yourself on the outside of an airplane, you can't flap your arms hard enough to save yourself, right? You need something to save you. You need to entrust your life to something to save you. You need a parachute. 
And that's what Jesus can be for us. Because he is the only one to live a perfect life. The life that you and I could never live. And he died the death that you and I deserved in our place so that we wouldn't have to. Because he rose again so that all who believe in him may have eternal life, may escape what Peter is talking about, may, may heed the warning and escape what, is, go, what um, is coming after. And what that looks like is eternal communion with God, eternally with God forever in life, not eternal separation. So if you're in here today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, or you never have, or you want to learn more about what it looks like to entrust yourself to Christ for salvation, please come and talk to me. I'll be standing up here after the service. Grab a pastor or someone seated next to you. We'd love to tell you what it looks like to entrust your life to him for salvation. And the reason we entrust ourselves to God and we trust our souls with God is because, as it says in verse 19, He is a faithful creator. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And he's a creator. He's sovereign. He's over all things. He created the heavens and the earth and each and every one of us. Right? He's a faithful creator. And so he's worthy of us entrusting our souls to him. And in the midst of doing that, we should do what is good. Right? Even if it causes us to suffer. And the first part of verse 19 when studying for this passage, this term um, suffering according to God's will. I I had some questions about what that meant exactly, but if you look through the whole uh, letter of 1 Peter, every time he mentions the phrase God's will, it's in the context of doing what is good. For example, in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good than it should, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And I think that by that term, suffering according to God's will, that's tied up in that. Uh, If we suffer, if we're going to suffer, we should suffer for doing good, not evil. And really what this is, is a call to imitate Christ. It's a call to be like Christ because he suffered for the ultimate good, for saving sinners like you and me. He's, he didn't recant, he didn't change, he didn't back out of doing it. He went to the cross for our sake and that was good for him to do and that's what we're called to do is imitate him. Peter said it himself in chapter 2, starting in verse 21, For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should not follow in his steps, that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. That's what Christ did for you and me, and that's, as, as a Christian, what we're supposed to imitate. We are supposed to do good even in the midst of suffering. We're supposed to glorify God in the midst of our suffering. When we're ridiculed, we rely on God's presence and God's blessing 
over what we're, um, what we're experiencing, right? And that empowers us to, to um, endure, to go through that, just like Christ did. Now, this, um, this passage reminded me of the story of uh, Corey and Betsy Tenboom, which I'm sure some of you know. But if you don't, um, Corey Ten Boom wrote the book, The Hiding Place. It's an incredible story. Um, highly re- recommend everyone read it. <clears throat> but Corey and Betsy Ten Boom were sisters who lived in Holland during uh, World War II. And um, they were part of a Christian household who uh, harbored Jews as they were being persecuted by the Nazis. And uh, they kept them safe, they hid them, right? That's why it's called The Hiding Place, the title of the book. But they even went beyond that and they harbored some of the uh, people that other people thought it was too risky to take in. Uh, for example, one woman who was elderly had a, had a respiratory issue. She would wheeze and cough occasionally. And it was risky for them to take her in because if they're hiding, and the police are searching your house, and this woman starts to wheeze and to cough, it'll give away where everyone's hiding, right? And that's too risky. And so people turned her away, but the Ten Boom family took them in. It's really incredible. But over, uh, through a course of um, various events, uh, Corey and Betsy Ten Boom were arrested, and they were put into prison, and they were transferred to various different prisons, endured horrible suffering, and they found themselves eventually in the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. And they were put into horrible living conditions. It was overcrowded, it was dirty, it was infested with fleas. And the two sisters talking about uh, some scripture that they were reading from the little Bible they were able to smuggle in. They were reflecting on 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, where Paul says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And out of an incredible act of obedience and faith, Betsy Ten Boom, one of the sisters, started to lead her sister in prayer, saying, thank you, God, for keeping us together in this place. Thank you, God, for the crowded room, because as we read the scriptures and share our faith, more people can hear it. And she said, thank you, God, for the fleas. And it was at this point that Corey was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not, uh, not going to be able to thank God for fleas, right? And in their time in this concentration camp, they found that they were able to minister the Word of God to people, uh, fellow prisoners. They were able to literally hold like full-blown worship services with songs and scripture reading and prayer and all this stuff. And <clears throat> the reason was because the guards, for some reason, weren't coming to check on their room when they did the rounds at night. And the reason that they found out that the guards avoided their room is because of those fleas. Corey's put it like this uh, in, in the book. She said, And thus began the closest, most joyous weeks of all time in Ravensbrook. Side by side in the sanctuary of God's fleas, Betsy and I ministered the Word of God to all, <clears throat> to all in the room. We sat by deathbeds that became doorways to heaven. We watched women who had lost everything grow rich in hope. 
The knitters of Barak 28 became the praying heart of the vast diseased body that was Ravensbrook, interceding for all in the camp, the guards under Betsy's prodding, as well as the prisoners. We prayed beyond the concrete walls for the healing of Germany, of Europe, and of the world. That's incredible. It's an incredible picture of faith. It's an incredible picture of what Peter is calling us to, to endure sufferings for doing what is good. The reason they were in the concentration camp is because they were doing what is good and protecting prisoners. And in the midst of that, they were put into horrible living conditions, but trying to be obedient to the Word of God, they praised God, even for things like fleas that they didn't know why they would, but they trusted that God could use those things. And what he did with those fleas was open the door for them to minister the Word of God, and God used that situation and those women to bring souls to Him, to give hope to prisoners in the midst of hell on earth, in a concentration camp. It's an incredible picture of faith, and it's one that you and I are called to, and and we're called to emulate it. And the whole basis for it is because we can trust God. Because God can use things, even like little fleas, for his glory. And so in the midst of it, we can rejoice. We can glorify God. We can stand strong. We cannot recant or turn away. We can press forward because we know that we're representing God and that he can use this for our good and the good of others. And he will be glorified ultimately for it. So... Um, as the band comes forward, I have a couple gospel responses uh, for you today. The first one is to trust God. <clears throat> Identify an area in your life where you don't trust God fully. This could be uh, your job or school or uh, maybe your health or family, friends, politics, um, any, uh, any area like that. Um, Find an area that you don't trust God. And then the second gospel response is to entrust that to God, to give it over to him for his safekeeping. And uh, a way that I've learned to do this is to pray with your hands open, saying, God, I'm giving you control over this thing. I'm handing this over to you. And um, an example of this that I've felt in my own life is uh, especially when I uh, first uh, became a Christian, I thought that maybe, maybe if I had the right combination of words, I could tell it to my friends or my coworkers and they would believe. Maybe if I just had the right argument or the right answer to an argument, then that would be the thing that, that uh, you know, turns the lights on, brings them to Christ. But God taught me um, through um, lots of situations that that's not how it works, right? And what he taught me is that I need to entrust, uh, entrust them to him, entrust my, um, my life to him in that way. So relying on God's timing and not my own, relying on God's strength and not my own, and trusting that God gives the growth and it's not me, right? I'm, I, I, had, I was keeping all of the control and trying to, to, to will people and argue people into the kingdom, all that stuff, but it's God who saves, it's not me. So 
I came to a point to where I prayed with open hands, and I continue to do it to this day, uh, entrusting the people that I love to him, because it's his timing, not mine. And the last gospel response I have is to encourage others with what we've talked about today. So if you know someone who's suffering, especially for doing good, uh, maybe someone's about to lose a job for not doing something immoral or illegal. Maybe it's a child or a peer or a student that you have who's enduring uh, ridicule from their, their peers uh, because of their faith in Christ. Share with them what we've talked about. Listen to them, sit with them, hear their story, and then uh, remind them of, say, verse 14, where he says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Show them that they're not alone in their suffering. God is with them in the midst of that and encourage them to continue to move forward, to continue to represent Christ in those trials. And... You can share with them the uh, story of Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. You can share with them my favorite uh, quote from the whole book, which is one of the last words Betsy Ten Boom told to her sister uh, before she died of a horrible sickness in that concentration camp. She told her sister that they needed to share what they had learned. And what they had learned is that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. That's our God. He is a faithful, trustworthy, and good God. And we should, and we should, and we're called to entrust our lives to Him, even if it causes suffering. Follow in the footsteps of Christ. Follow in the footsteps of these two amazing women in Germany. And we will glorify God in the process. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the incredible pictures of faith that we have to look upon. And it's a very encouraging, but, um, and Lord, the ultimate fulfillment and and, uh, picture of that is your son and what he did for us on the cross, Lord. That's the ultimate act of good and, and love and mercy. And he didn't back away, Lord. And I know that you're calling us not to. And we can't do it on our own strength. And so I ask that you teach us to trust you, trust your goodness, and teach us to entrust our lives to you in the midst of that so that we may bring glory to you in hopeful expectation of rejoicing with you forever, Lord. I love you. I trust you. And I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.
questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.